Greetings and salutations, folks. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. It is January 28th, 2022. We are up to episode seven already, so we are super excited. Scott, we're on a roll. We've done seven this month. Um, yeah, you know, we are on a roll. So we are on a roll. That's, uh, we're pacing 84 for the year. That's exactly. pretty good. Pretty good. Exactly. So I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors of Scratchpad and Sendoso. Uh, as you're looking at improving your sales team's performance and looking to drive revenue, please always be sure to check out our sponsors. We greatly appreciate it. And with that, we're going to introduce our guest, Derek Jankowski, who is the VP of sales over at Service Corps. So Derek, you know, give a quick intro, what Service Corps do, like what's your sales cycles like, just so we have some context of, of where your answers will come from. Sure. Uh, I'm trying to keep my history kind of short here. I've actually been in sales since I was 18 years old. So almost 20 years. I had a, two different sales jobs in college. Called alumni, cold called alumni, asked for donations. And I had a job where I knocked on doors during the summer. Cutco knives? No, no. Worse books oh wow <laughs> what were, kind of books uh, so imagine cliff notes but for regular school subjects so i'm probably about to experience the parent side of, i'm uh where we are, have a baby due in about 17 weeks so in a few years i'm gonna be on the other side of this where parents struggle to help their kids with their homework because kids learn it differently whatever the books helped with that right they made it easier to help your kids with their homework I did that for five summers, which was nuts, knocking on doors, 80 hours a week outside, getting rained on. It was awful, but it was a really good experience. What's, what did, what's two great lessons you learned from that experience? Um, one of the things that I internalized is take, not taking things personally, right? That's not a new lesson. Everyone knows, oh, that's a good idea but doing it is harder than, than just taking the advice, right? But when you get just rejected over and over and over, that early door slammed on you, like it's, um, you just learn like to just keep going no matter what. So what would you say to your, because th this happens, right? And we hear it all the time in sales. Um, I'm going to yeah. talk to you about sales. Or one of us will ask you about some sales leadership stuff you're doing. Okay. What, do you, what do you coach a sales rep who's new? right? They're not used to making cold calls, right? Um, yeah. What, what do you do to coach them? Because we've all heard it. Hey, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the, uh, the, the company. And it's, sure. it's kind of like horseshit in my opinion. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's nothing that you can say that fixes how somebody feels when that happens. So my previous gig to the service core one is I built the SDR org at patient pop. And so I hired almost exclusively people with no sales experience. And, and we got them ready to go into a full cycle AE role with, uh, on average in eight, eight months to a year, depending on when you measured it. And it's just like, the trick is just do a volume anyway, right? Like get, get them comfortable with the messaging and what to do. And then just go, they have to go do it and screw it up a lot. And then you give them feedback. And it's like, as they, the key is that they should, they should be able to see themselves getting better over time. I love one of the, I'm going to summarize what you said, which was, and the cool. first thing you said is 
probably the best thing you could say to a, a sales rep is, you know, there's nothing I can do to take away that feeling for you, right? I want to validate that they had that emotional feeling and that it frustrates them and they don't like it and right. say, I can help coach you to it, but I'm not going to tell you to ignore it. And here's the plan to get there. And then, you know, for me, I always sort of talk about trying to build a little bit of a callus, right? Like learning to play guitar yeah. or something. You got to get your fingers little, a little figured out, but um, that was, that was super solid advice. Scott, I'll right. shut up and let you ask something. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how one company is responsible for producing Derek Jankowski, Kevin Dorsey, and Justin Welsh. <laughs> you got three, three sales leaders under one roof over there. What was that? What was that like working alongside two people, you know, that a lot of folks admire and, and respect and listen to, um, you know, as part of your development and, and career path? I can tell you that I learned a lot. Um, Kevin and Justin, you know, both really good guys and different, different backgrounds and styles. And so it's like, you know, being able to see how two very different people accomplish things in, in different ways and being able to sort of pick and choose which pages from those playbooks I want to build into my own style. Um, I mean, it was really hard, right? Because you see Justin do something, you're like, oh, I'm going I'm to do that. That must be the way that you do it. And it doesn't work for me, right? So it's like, well, what things could I do that, that might, that would work for me? You know, and then KD comes in, it's like, cool, I'm going to go do the KD style. It's like, okay, not all of that actually feels authentic for me. It does for KD because, right? That's where Do you have enough from. hats to do the KD style? <laughs> I don't think anyone but KD has enough hats for that. I think when he, when he moved out to Austin, he probably got a whole room just for his hats. Probably. So you're, but you're, you're fortunate enough. I mean, some people don't have anybody to learn from. You know, let alone view as some kind of mentor, if you will. You've got two there. You get different styles. You're picking and choosing. So now, as you move forward, and you're a VP of sales now, how do you how do you take the things that you've learned and become your own leader? And like this is this is who Derek is as a leader, and people now will learn from you and emulate your style. How did how do you bring that forth? Well, before I directly answer that question, I want to say something I wish somebody had told me, which is, um, even though I have all this experience or whatever, I still screw up all the time. I don't do anything perfectly. And I actually, now that I've been, I've seen how the sausage is made, like, I don't think anyone does anything perfectly. And for the most part, we're all still figuring stuff out, right? Like, um, I sort of come up with a process of like, you know, when I'm faced with a problem, uh, I will set aside an hour of dark time where nobody can talk to me and I'll get a Google sheet and I'll just brainstorm. How do I solve this problem? I'll like try to solve it on the page. And then I, then I might sometimes before, but sometimes after Google the problem, how have other people tried to solve this? How do I fit that into what I'm thinking about and how the dip, the things that are different here, and then I'll usually, if it's something that I've really not done before, like I want somebody to, to look at it 
who can I talk to that can try to poke holes in this? And then it still is often not perfect. And it's, and then it's like, then go to market with it. Can I do all of that in a day or two, roll it out and then get feedback and sort of tweak it. That's the closest I've been able to come. So, so let's say there's a situation where you run it by somebody, somebody that you presumably, you know, trust and, and respect. Let's say that person shoots it down or disagrees with you or pokes all sorts of holes in it. How do you know when to ignore that advice and do it anyway, if ever? Yeah. Um, I, I literally have to dedicate time to thinking about it. I know that that's a weird, that's not an answer I would have expected 10 years ago, but like. What does that look like? Know, does that mean like Derek goes on a run and like he's thinking about it while he's running or do you literally just like block the calendar off and you just sit at your desk and, and think and jot down notes on a piece of paper? What does that look like? Uh, could be either of those. Like a lot of times what happens is I'll take that feedback, I'll write everything down and then I'll set it aside. So something that I learned that works for me is I walk my dog every night and I used to listen to a podcast or, you know, usually a podcast. Um, and I stopped doing that and I don't try to think about anything, but then whatever, then things bubble up and I start to have thoughts and then I've got uh, Justin actually gave me uh, maybe a year or two years ago, like, um, I don't know what you call it, like a handheld like voice recorder. And I, I would carry that or like my phone, you know, you have the app on your phone as well. It's so, like, I will leave voice memos to myself as these thoughts bubble up. I actually wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and I'm like, oh my God, I have an idea. And I'll grab my phone and I'll email myself and, and I'll check. So you don't forget it. Yeah. So I don't yeah. forget it. What do yeah. you, I'll start, keep so just thinking that, about it and I won't be able to fall back asleep. Sorry, go ahead, Richard. No, I'm just curious, Scott, because I do the same thing. I email myself stuff all the time. Like if I think of a LinkedIn post, I'm like, oh, I should write that, right? So otherwise I'll forget it, right? I feel um, less weird now that you've said that. So thank you. Oh God, I do it all the time. I mean, Scott, <laughs> Scott experienced a side of Richard that he had not seen at the last surf and sales where uh, <laughs> Richard partook of certain yeah. uh, hippie lettuce on a regular basis that I would walk to the next meeting, forgetting something every day. I forgetting everything. Left and right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, I have to, I, I, do I don't do the, I don't do the voice memo thing, but I got to write everything thing down as, as well, or I'm, I'm not going to remember it, but I'm just, I was just curious, like, how do you have the, how can you have the fortitude to go against the advice of other people and just kind of press on. So you sit there, you think about it, or you walk your dog and you think about it. Like, how do you make that decision? You know what? Mm-hmm. I hear Scott's advice, but I think he's wrong and I'm going to do it this way anyways. Well, it's actually not the advice that is most important to me when I, when I ask for advice, it's, it's challenge my assumptions. So if you come to me and say, I agree with all of your assumptions, but I would do something different then I, I need to understand why. Um, but the best, the best value out of that is I would bring you something, Scott, and you would say, I think your assumptions are wrong. Let's, let's rework through those. What if this isn't true? How do you know this is true? Like, well, what if this happened instead? Have you thought about this use case? Like, are you really even, 
Are you thinking about solving the, the right thing? Is this even the problem that you should spend your time on? And um, so sometimes that happens, but I think if, if, and then it's like, okay, I'm gonna take all that advice and there's no way that if I come to you, for example, if I come to you, Scott, there's no way I can give you all of the information that I have because I might not even be thinking, might not even have top of mind what some of that information is. So I have to take what you said and go recompare it to what I'm working on, right? Okay, well, you said that, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Somebody told me about, um, like, how do you handle this kind of meeting? Well, okay, when I actually sit down, I realize, well, our sales cycle is really short. So that kind of meeting doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense for us to have a discovery call and then a demo. Yeah. Those need to be the same call because uh, our, our sales cycle is about 14 days right now. So if we do those as different calls, we're going to add a week onto that sales cycle. And, and so it doesn't make sense. But is there some way I can incorporate the best parts of that advice into, into what does make sense for our business? Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you found, because I, I know where you're working and you work in a, in a vertical specific SaaS company. Um, have you found that world and, and that sales process to be completely and uniquely different than the patient pop kind of transactional sales uh, world or actually a lot more similarities than one might expect? More similar similarities than one might expect. Tell, tell me more about that because, you know, I, I experienced the same thing because I came from like transactional sales, the early part of my career. And then I moved into, you know, vertical specific SaaS and like B2B and mid-market and whatnot. And everybody is like, oh, these are so different. Like you won't, you might not be able to do this. And I remember thinking, what are you talking about? Like, it's going to be like a little different, but you know, it's not that, not that disparate. So I'm curious right. to hear more about that because you seem to be saying the same thing as me. Like, wow, it's not that different. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the first thing that I did is I, you know, you just break the sales cycle into its component pieces, right? So you think about um, like access, like actually booking meetings is, I'm going to quote, I'm going to do the air quotes here, like easier in that, right? When selling into doctors, and I spent eight years at two different startups selling into small doctor's offices, that gatekeeper, that receptionist who answers the phone is trained to not let you through no matter what. Like even they're if they're trying doctor, to get rid of you. Yeah. Even if the doctor requested information, doesn't matter. Like I'm sure people call and say that and they're lying sometimes, right? But they might get 50 sales calls a day. I'm just gonna get rid of everybody. Uh, but there are tons of verticals, including ours, where there aren't nearly as many salespeople going after them. Right. And so that part's different. So uh, I've I've onboarded four people this week and the feedback or this month. And the feedback we got this week is, wow, like I just get passed right through sometimes. Like this has never happened and, you know, but then the, the demo process is largely the same. Like we are speaking with SMBs. So the, the owner works in the business as well. And when there's fires, an employee quits, they might have to hop in a truck and do some of the work that that person would do. That's very similar to like a doctor. Yeah. Right? If you're the only doctor in the practice, 
you are seeing patients and delivering the core service, but also trying to run the business. And so you're like up to your elbows in the actual work. Um, so those things are similar. And I think people, what I'm noticing is buyers just want to talk to a human and not like a sales bot. And I think that's going to be true in the vast majority of situations. You can just be chill, ask some good questions. Don't be pushy. Don't be salesy. Really look for, do you have a need that I can solve? And you've got to tell me that as a prospect, like I can do good discovery. I can do a good demo, but at the end of the day, like if you don't see if to you, those dots aren't connected, we might not have something. Richard, can you imagine calling on doctors for eight years? No, no. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, I, you know, the, the image in my mind is the pharmaceutical sales, right? Like mm-hmm. where you, you, you go to the doctor's appointment and, 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 you know, the, you know, you see these people come dressed in and you're like, oh, that's a pharmaceutical salesperson. And I'm like, I've heard they make good money, but I don't know if I could do that. So, yeah. Um, but, but even calling them would be even harder, in my opinion, um, in a lot of yes. cases. So, um, and it's, and it's interesting because they're in the business of helping the human, but they get bombarded by the most, some of the most inhumane people out there, salespeople. So, who aren't good. So what I want to pull you out of this part of the conversation. I want to talk to you about sales leadership because I know you have a strong passion for that. Um, It's something I'm focusing on more too this year around messaging and content and some training stuff. What do you still see as lacking in leadership development for salespeople for, I'm sorry, for sales leaders? And I know you're trying to pull up the entire list of 3,000 things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, I mean, in my experience is is mostly in startups. I've spent two years at a, a, you know, Fortune 50 company out of college. Probably was very different there. But I think when you're looking at small companies, just development at all tends to be lacking. Um, The pattern that I see over and over at companies I've been at and as I speak to people in the industry is that it's still very common to just promote the best salesperson to manager and say, go get everyone else to do what you're doing. And that's it. And, you know, the the first thing to note is the temperament of a great leader and a great rep are often different. Reps are very aggressive. Like, Oh, I like this. I like this. Keep going. The (laughs) The temperament is different. I like that. Yeah, I mean, you imagine the best salespeople and they, they tend to be aggressive. They know their deals. They know the next step. They want to go hard after it. I don't mean selfish in a bad way. That's not a bad thing. It's like, you know how to go get your deals. And being a, a leader is much more about helping other people achieve their goals. And you're not, don't count on being in the limelight. You've got to spend time. Uh, you might lose a deal because you're trying to help a rep learn how to get deals and the, you know, the concept of how do you close deals uh, consistently over time might mean you lose an occasional deal. And that's painful, especially um, when you're used to getting paid, you know, getting paid the way that salespeople get paid. Um, So I think that's the first thing. And the second thing is like, okay, if you get somebody with the right temperament or they can adapt, well, what does it mean to be a sales leader? Like, how do you do it? Like, what is your actual job? 
And the job is make people better. But what a typical week looks like very often is meetings. Meetings that aren't focused on making people better. Well, how do you get your job done if 75% of your time you're working on things that aren't your job? And the fortitude, your fortitude question, Scott, is like, how do you have the, how do you get the cojones yeah. to push back on your boss and say, I can't do those meetings this week. I just had a bunch of new salespeople. I need to spend four or six hours a day just coaching yeah. and running trainings. I just had this conversation earlier today with somebody who was telling me that she's a VP of sales and she spends 15 hours a week in meetings. 15 hours a week. That's three hours a day. Yeah. Brutal. And she was like, I don't know. What am I, how am I supposed to get done? Everything I'm supposed to get done. I'm like, you've got to extract yourself from all these meetings. Yeah. You know, right. So That's crazy. So hard. That's crazy. Yeah. Scott, I've told the story a thousand times, but Scott, when I worked or Derek, when I worked for Scott, um, you know, we had a sales team. It was transactional. I was one call close and Scott would constantly text us, you know, the group managers to get off our CPU. Um, and for those, for the, for those who don't know, a CPU is a central processing unit and what you often called a computer in the eighties. So, so well, you, you gotta, you fight the tendency of sales leaders to do anything except, except coaching. Yes. And development. So, you know, to hear you say like, I got to do what I can to be on the, you know, the phones or the floor coaching people six and a half hours a day. Like, yes, that's exactly what you should be doing. I used to tell Richard, you should be like a shark, meaning you never stop swimming. You never stop moving and coaching and, and giving guidance and whatnot. You know, if you do, you're going to sink. Right. right? It, it's the difference between activity and productivity. Like, and to, to make the right decision, you've got to know what, like, you're actually accountable for. And yeah. it's, it, like, it, uh, what do we call it? Like, the super rep, right? Okay, I'm a new manager. I'm just going to jump on every deal and close it for my rep. In the short term, delivers benefits and looks like productivity. Yeah. Yep. In the long term, you have reps who are not better and are not reliant upon you. I think every, every new sales manager and sales leader goes through this exact moment, you know, where you're like, oh, I got to teach Richard how to do this, but I don't want to lose this deal, right? And at some point, you got to figuratively kind of let go of the phone, you know, yeah. and, and, and let these people fail and lose the, be willing to walk away from the deal, you know, if you've, uh, if you've got to, right? Because you're thinking more about the long term, right? You're not going to be able to be on every single call you know, right. helping them forever. Right. Right. You're building people, not just a closing deals. Yeah. It's funny. I think, I think Scott, you know, cause he knows Justin and you and, and KD very well. I think he's like, Oh, this is my dream team. If I could build a sales org, you know, and granted you guys wouldn't want to necessarily work for him at this stage of your career, you know, but this is Scott's dream team of leadership, in my opinion. But I feel like everybody should be thinking that way, though, right? Like you should be thinking, okay, if I, you know, was trying to build a company or or a sales team or whatever, like who are my ideal candidates that I would work with? Like, what is the ultimate dream team, you know, that you could put to put together? Right? That's how you should be thinking. I feel like, 
Yeah, it's not bad. No, I get it. I get it. I've done it. I've talked about it, you know. Yeah. So, um, I just, you know, Scott didn't even say anything like, hey, Richard, what about you? You'd be on my dream team. <laughs> <laughs> you, you yeah, we already we didn't even notice that I wasn't there. Right? We already we already work together. You're already part of the, the team. <laughs> Derek, I want to ask, I want to ask you a totally different question, a little bit kind of off topic, right? Let's say somebody says to you, listen, Derek. I need you to increase our average sales price from X to, to Y. This is part of your mandate in the year 2022. We need to go a little bit up market. We need to increase our ASP. Give me three things that a sales leader should do or be thinking about to increase their average sales price. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of sales as just like a formula, right? What are all the things that you do to get a deal from, that, from the activity and leads all the way through the dollars on the end? And so when you're thinking specifically about average sales price, well, okay, what is my ACV or ASP now? What are the variables that go into it? So it's, it's you know, in SaaS, it's like, okay, well, how many seats um, can we, can we, how do we get more seats? This is something I've actually worked on at this company, right? So the two variables I, I worked on were let's discount less and let's um, go after companies that have more seats that they would need okay so that's two so we we minimize or eliminate discounting and yeah, we yeah. change our icp a little bit and to force us to go up market what's yeah. one other one other tip or trick that you could could give to other sales leaders i mean if you have like additional products that you can upsell you know if, if you're a vp of sales like and you have a real seat at the table that's something that you should bring up right? What does it take for us to develop another product that we can roll into that, that first sale? Yeah. Richard, what, what, what would, what would you do to raise ASP? So it's so funny because my very first sales job was at the gap, right? And we had the metric they measured us on every single day was how many units per sale. They didn't right. care. What is so, that? Is that how many different things somebody bought? Yeah. So like it's, but but because, you know, people were often coming in for a pair of jeans, we were constantly yeah. told to literally, and I remember they showed us like, throw a belt on it and say, hey, look at how cool this belt looks with these. And you guys are too young, probably, but there used to be behind the register at the Gap, this massive wall of socks of all the colors, because they would change the colors every month. And we would be told to grab a pair of socks. Oh, these would look great with that. So um, to your point, Derek, yes, keep adding on one more thing. Um, I think if you can provide some level of additional service or support is an interesting way to do it. Um, you know, there's the difference, you know, you've sort of seen it already, you know, you only get email support, then you get team support. And then if you really want a dedicated rep, right. And yeah. you do have to pay for it, right. Like, you know, so it, I think it does depend on, you know, at your company, what's the, already the average sales price is, and is there advantage to that? Um, and you have to look at some of the stuff too, is um, the other variable is also to look at the, the churn rate, right? Because it's also the lifetime value, right? Now, yeah. you do want to raise your price this year because you need to hit higher targets, but there's also value to saying, okay, well, what if we can get our people to go from, you know, 3.1 years to five years, right? Like that's- the, right. You know, like so when it when it when it comes to raising prices, let's sit with this for a second. I got yeah. a question for either either one of you guys. Um, 
I think most people just think, okay, we're going to raise the prices flat across the board. Is there a universe where it makes sense to only raise prices for like one of the packages instead of all three or two of the three packages and, and not all three? Like, are there different kind of, is there different ways to increase the price other than just uniformly across the, the board? to increase your, your average sales price. And how do you know, and how do you know when to do that versus all the way for all the packages? Derek, you want to I mean, go first? Uh, sure. Um, I, I, I mean, I'd tell you some place I'd look, I'd look at what are we, I'd look at win rates first of all, and compare them to, um, try to figure out if there's a, I don't know, call it like an ICP per package, right? Like who's, who's the right person to buy the yep. top tier, the middle tier, the bottom yep. tier. Yep. And then how often do we win those deals? And if we're winning, if you're winning a really, really high percentage, it probably means you got some room to raise prices. Um, uh, but it's also like, if, if we, what is the value that the buyer gets? In this case, I mean, it's hard to raise prices arbitrarily, but in 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 the case of my current company, we're, we are the, the we're the most expensive in the mid market, and that's not just because we want the most money. It's because we have a huge support team, right? And support is the number one complaint in this vertical, and so we just we've quadrupled the size of our support team in the last twelve months, which means people can get chat, phone, email support get people who've used the software professionally to help you. There's a lot of advantages there. Um, it also prevents us from getting into like the race to the bottom that everybody else is getting into. Yeah. Sell cheap. Uh, so if you want support, you got to call this number and get the owner out of bed. You know, if it's depending on what time zone that you're in. Yeah. Um, yeah oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead Derek. I think that's all I have on that right now. So, Agreeing with Derek, and, and here's how I see it, is that the market will always dictate your price. And however, you can be the most expensive as long as the experience is correct, meaning yeah. that it's not about the buyer's journey. It never has been. It's about the buyer's experience. We already fucking know what the journey is. Everybody's got the same journey. It's what's the experience within the journey that matters. And so by talking to your best customers and having those strong relationships and saying, Hey, you know, don't worry, we're not going to jerk you around. We want your honest feedback. What's this really worth to you? And then being able to provide the economic impact expl explanation of the pain based on the persona that we were talking about, that Derek was talking about, that's where you can start to look at how to raise your price. So I think you have to do a little bit of research on it um and be willing to swing and miss on a couple of deals too right because you're not sure but it because it's not just the price it's well how do we have a better conversation around that price wait and and how do i manage all the reps who are now freaked out that we raised the price right, that's what i mean everybody that, thinks that, we're that, never going to be able to close a deal again because we right, raised the price exactly so yeah, yeah. And, and in that case you know it's the scott lease method of you know every manager has to get on the phone and do it themselves you have to prove that it can be done Right. And you have to walk the walk and talk the talk. 
So uh, I, I have one more thing to add now that 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 you sort of uh, triggered my brain here, Richard. Is like um, thinking about that. A lot of times, apprehension around price is actually about uh, from the the customer is actually about I'm not sure what my experience is going to be. Yes. And the more evidence that you can provide before the sale that they're going to have a good experience, the more you can justify the, what I'm going to call the correct price. So yeah. can you get case studies? Can you get video case studies? Can they talk? A lot of times doctors, just like in, in my existing industry, um, and we, uh, I don't think I'd said this earlier, but we sell a, a business management software for companies that rent out uh, porta potties and roll off dumpsters, right? So you drive by a construction site, there's a dumpster and a porta potty out front. Whoever owns those is could be our customer. And like uh, when a software is new or any product is new, the risk of buying that product is high. And so they don't want to spend a lot of money. But if you've been around a while and you have a lot of customers and those customers have had good experiences and you can offer good support and you have a lot of features and then you can prove that before the sale, um, and somebody can actually see, yes, this, there's a ton of value here. And the value is way, way more than the number of dollars that I would spend. Then exactly. it becomes easier. Scott, what about you? What is, what's your feedback on raising prices? You've done it. I raise prices all the time. I, I actually love to start from a place of, I know I have the best product mm-hmm. and I'm also the cheapest. I like to start there. And then as I start accumulating market share and validating that this sales process is working and we're getting more customers and that the users have busted the product a little bit and then we've fixed it and improved upon it, I just start slowly raising prices. I'll raise prices like every six months for the first couple of years when I go in early. So there's, there's always movement, if you will. So how always. do you... How do you coach your reps from freaking out or when they oh, number one, I just kind of tell them from the beginning, this is what we're going to do. This is, this is how it's going to go. So there's transparency around it. It's not like it just comes out of, you know, left field. Right. And we have, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with like a clear milestone. It might be, you know, the first hundred customers we, we sell, this is going to be the price. And then the next 500, it's going to be this price, whatever the, the, the benchmarks are, you know, and to, to you said it earlier, like one of the things that, that you got to do is you got to do it yourself. You know, you want people to believe that you can sell at this higher price then the manager or VP should get on the phone and make it happen, you know, um, and just kind of trust in your ability and sell a little bit different in that you can't, the higher the price goes, you can't do this like, well, just try it out. If it doesn't work, you know, no big deal. The higher the price goes, you have to be more diligent about making sure you're solving real pain for these people, that it has your favorite word, Richard, real economic impact on these people's uh, business, right? And that they're going to have an enjoyable experience and be taken care of to Derek's point. You can't rush through all of that stuff. Right. So you just really emphasize that. And if you if you're able to do that, I think, uh, you know. You can you can pull off increasing the prices bit by bit 
That's what I like to do bit by bit. That's cool. That's really, really good. So I can't believe we've gone 40 minutes into this conversation. (laughs) Holy cow. We're just getting started. I know Derek, we've, we forgot. I forgot to tell you that towards the end and I'll, I'll give a quick shout out first. So you can have a second. We always turn it over to you to ask us a question, right? What, what do you, what do you want to ask us? Uh, But before we do that, I want to give a, Shout out to Sindoso and Scratchpad for sponsoring us um, for this month and the next several months, right? Because they're big time. The whole year, by Richard. By several months, you mean all of 2022. I do mean that. So yeah. big, big shout out to that. Also, we're going to have uh, Peon from Scratchpad on a live session uh, coming up in the next few weeks. You can check us out on LinkedIn. You'll find it there uh, where he's going to answer questions about uh, going into leadership and what that really means as well. So it'll be, it'll be a fun session. So Derek, what question can we answer for you or questions? We've got a few minutes. Um, what, what would you say? <clears throat> and I, and I have too many questions in my head. Let me pull one out. So, uh, can you, I would like you guys to talk about your experience actually promoting a person to their first sales role. Like, Ooh. what have you done as a leader that has best helped them, you know, uh, acclimate to the role effectively and quickly? So, my experience is different, is that I never had that's not true. That's not true. Um, the things that I did to help, there's, there's one time, usually I was just hiring straight up salespeople. There was one time when I had SDRs um, and it was one making sure that they were constantly being educated with their rep, right? Making sure that our reps communicated with them and had regular meetings with them to learn. Um, we allowed that person, uh, we paid for them to go and take their own sales training course. We said, we'll pay for it if you want to go take it. Um, and you got to come and he was able to come back and prove that, you know, he had learned some things. Um, we also built in our organization that the SDRs, uh, were allowed to sit in on any sales calls that they wanted to with the AEs. So the expectations were there. We were selling at an enterprise level, so it was fewer meetings so that, you know, it's not like it was okay. Like their goal was to hit like 10 meetings a month in terms of setting them, but they were also with companies like Coca-Cola or Netflix or Starbucks. And so we really wanted these young people to um, experience like, well, what does that enterprise sales process even look like? And so we really groomed them through education and experience to get them there. Um, you know, we also made sure that it was something they wanted to do, right? Like I'm a firm believer that just because someone comes in as in the current traditional role of an SDR doesn't mean they have to go into sales. I mean, you're 20 something years old. Maybe they want to go to marketing. Maybe they want to go to customer support. Maybe they want to be product marketing, whatever. It's like who at 22 really knows what they want to do. Not to mention the fact that we all know that for a lot of people, you don't necessarily choose a sales career. It sort of chooses you and you got to see if you even like it. Um, And so I don't ever want an organization to throw away six months or a year of of brain knowledge, of institutional knowledge that could be utilized in a whole bunch of different departments. Uh, right. so that, Hiring great people is so hard. Yeah. You hire somebody great, yeah, don't let them go ever. Yep. So that that's my answer. Cool. 
I got two, I got two I got two answers for you. <clears throat> okay. The first thing is you have to be able to teach your manager how to teach sales reps. So you got to teach the teacher and they don't know how to do that. They've often never done it before, but they don't know the tone to use. They don't know how patient they need to be. They don't know that there's different learning styles of some individuals. So they need to be taught how to teach other people. They need to know that you can't teach people 20 different things all at once, you know, one thing at a time type of thing. And I don't think that, I don't think that new managers get enough guidance on that. And the second thing that I would say is consistency. I think everybody knows consistency from a rep level, what that looks like, make the X number of calls all the time, make sure your pipeline is always, you know, five X to quota, make sure you've got good data hygiene in your CRM. That's consistency as a rep. I don't think people know what consistency means as a sales manager. It means coaching every single day. It means communicating and talking to every single person on your team every single day. It means getting into and looking at and understanding your data and your numbers. And those certain consistent things are lost on a lot of new managers. And I think that they view getting into management as the end of the routine. Right. And they're finally free of having to do the same thing every single day. And by, by your laughter, I can tell that you know as well as we do that that's not the case. It's just that the routine has changed. It's so funny if you think about it because we drive these metrics. Like I've never thought about it till this very second talk time, number of dials, emails, like all these quote unquote, you know, KPIs and metrics. Yet, as soon as you get to manager, there's no KPI on how many coaching sessions did you do this week? Well, some, not, not everybody, not every, not everybody. Some, some of us. Well, I, but track these kind of I guess my, my point is how often do you think it's a common thought? Oh yeah. I already know that. I already do it. Not, not common at all, but to your, to your point, like, how many trainings did the sales manager do this partic- week. particular right. week or Where's particular their fucking month? dashboard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there, there's companies out there trying to solve some of that stuff, you know, through tools and everything. But yeah. it's that the consistency, Derek, to your point. So they, they need to understand that they have to be just as consistent with their daily efforts and, and their metrics. And then they need to be taught how to teach other people. Yeah. Everybody should have a, a dashboard that shows number of hours in meetings, number of hours coaching. That should be on your dashboard, right? So what's interesting to me is like how few people actually know where their time goes at all. Sure. Um, I'm going to make fun of myself here a little bit. When people look at my calendar, they usually tell me that it gives them anxiety. But here's here's what I told somebody yesterday and didn't even realize how big of a deal it was. When I decide I'm going to do something, I find time on my calendar for it. I don't have to do lists. If it doesn't fit on my calendar, I don't do it. Or I decide it's a higher priority than the things that I do have on my calendar. And I can look back at any day and tell you exactly what I did that day. So what happens to all that shit you move off the calendar? Uh, Usually it just doesn't get done. Wow. 
Like that freaks me out, Scott. You can Scott's over here grinning, <laughs> going, "Well, I love this idea. I wonder if he even if you do this." But he's also going, "This would freak Richard the fuck out." <laughs> yeah, Richard can't. Richard wouldn't be able to handle that. That's very much like that's very much like me. I just decide, well, this thing's no longer important anymore. It's gone. Right. It's off yeah. off the list. Oh God. Yeah. No. 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 So. I have uh, when I go into each quarter, I set priorities, right? So I came, I had a, it was either early January or in, in December. I met the CEO and I was like, look, these are what I believe my priorities should be for Q1, right? And I did the, the Google Doc thing in order to get there that I described at the beginning of this. It's like, what do you think about these priorities? And he was like, I don't think you should do this. I think this is going to be a bigger project than you think. Let's talk about what that looks like. And we got to the end and it's like, we had my priorities. And uh, there were three, right? Three things. And I had originally started with five and I walked in, I was like, I think this is too many, but I don't, I need your help figuring out like which ones to drop. And, but that's on top of, right? That's on top of the day-to-day management of the team, which and especially for like a frontline manager, your number one priority is make, is usually coaching. Spend half your time coaching, spend half your time on your other priorities that longer term impact the team. Like I'm rebuilding the demo, for example, yeah, should be, I'm rebuilding. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, and I think that freaks most people out. Like people can't, I think most people are more like you, Richard, like, well, I have a 10,000 page to-do list. And I have to get it all done. I don't know if you're that extreme, but, uh, I but just forget weird. shit. It's not so much that I just, for, I know me well enough to know that I forget shit and I've gotten yeah. better, um, you know, fortunate part of me is 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 the ADHD in me, and so I, I recently upped my meds on this, and I'm like, my focus is crazy ridiculous. Like, I'm, but Derek and I make Derek see people like Derek and I might make the case that if you forgot it, it wasn't that important. Yeah, no, but it would be Scott. It would be things like, oh, I need to get that contract out, or oh, I need to do you know because I will create the busy work to prevent me from the other. Like that's just me. Yeah, Scott, you know, you but, know me. So those things all go on my calendar, man. Like if I have to get a contract out, well, there's a specific time that I should do it. And so I look at my calendar blocking like, contract sending off on his calendar. Yeah, literally true. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before, but, but I, I love it. And it, it would, that would help you, Richard. Yes. Yeah. So, so I expect before we wrap here, I expect Richard's calendar to now read close fucking deal and <laughs> contract collect no. invoice <laughs> no 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 i can't do it that way oh uh, hey this is this is a lot of a lot of fun derek appreciate you spending some time with us i'm stoked that things are going pretty well for you over at service core i, I know that that crew over there and uh you know been following along a little bit on the journey and keep up the good work man cool thanks so much for having me on guys this is, yeah, this it's is our pleasure man. great to hang out with you <laughs>